In the name and in the spirit of the divine truth that dwells within each of us, let us step out now from our silent complicity in evil. For we come today not to bring peace, but a sword that cuts through the lies around us and within us, and that separates us from a corrupt and a murderous world, a sword that dispels the darkness and raises us up to stand solely under the law of God. We come today as part of a called-out remnant of humanity to establish a just society in the shell of the old by pulling down the old so that we may raise up the new in the world and in ourselves. And welcome to the premier broadcast of Here We Stand, which is a weekly platform to awaken and arm our people. I'm your regular host, Kevin Annett. This is a continuation of Radio Free Canada, and as a matter of fact, all of the programs of Radio Free Canada are posted at our new site, bbsradio.com slash here we stand. Well, Abraham Lincoln in 1861, just on the verge of the American Civil War, said these words, In times like the present, men should utter nothing for which they would not willingly be responsible through time and eternity. Well, there's a similar kind of civil war in, imposed on all of us now, all, wherever we are in the world, a choice of which power we will serve a murderous corporatocracy, or we the people gathered under the common law. What we utter on this program, we take personal responsibility for. That's been our theme for three years now. We're enacting our vision in the world, not only through the common law, but its courts. That's part of the theme of today as we kick off this new series. Our guest from Scotland is David Scott, who's one of the founders of the Scottish Common Law Court. Dave's going to be with us at about 20 minutes after the hour. I'm also joined by Rachel Aird, who is a journalist from London, Ontario. She's been on the show several times before to talk about satanic ritual crimes in London. And I thought it especially relevant that Rachel join us today on this new show because of an item in the news we're going to talk about. And I'm very pleased to have her with me again. As a matter of fact, she's on the line. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Kevin. It's great to have you back again after a little while. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I wanted to also uh, tell folks that uh, an important announcement, our show is, uh, here we stand, can be followed as well now on the Veterans Today Network. Now, this is a very important network. It's got millions of listeners every month, and you can find it at VeteransToday.com. Our shows will be posted there every week. Also, some of our books from Amazon.com, two of them, fall on the story of the Vancouver Four and uh, Unrelenting, the story of our campaign to expose genocide in Canada. Those can now be found on ebook, as well as the regular paperback publishing through Amazon.com. So, Rachel, let's hop in here. We've got a few minutes before Dave comes, but um, I wanted to, to get down and maybe talk a little bit about why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I know that coming in, you know, from a place like London, Ontario, uh, where you've seen, you know, these crimes, we've talked about the child trafficking in that. Um, there was an item in the news, and I wanted to share that with, with uh, folks in case they, they haven't heard. Um, it's a, uh, involving a Vatican diplomat, actually, he was just an all-Canada warrant has been put out for this guy. His name's Alberto, uh, Carlo Alberto Capella. He was a Monsignor, and there's, uh, he's 50 years old. He was caught with child porn on his computer. 
and others a Canada-wide warrant out for him. But unfortunately, as soon as the word got out on him, the Vatican recalled him to Rome immediately. This fellow was a Vatican diplomat in Washington, D.C., where he had diplomatic immunity. And once again, folks, he scurried out of the country before the law can put their hands on him. Uh, Rachel, do you know anything about this guy or you know, why this... I, the story came out of London, Ontario, and I'm, I'm just curious whether you know anything about that. Well, um, Kevin, I can just say that when I was reading the article today, um, I just found I really wasn't surprised to hear that it was coming out of London, Ontario. Um, from my research and my experience, London is just one of the most conservative cities in Canada. And uh, with that, people have a tendency to, you know, turn the other eye when they see any suspicious behavior and they just really don't want to rock the boat or cause any issues. So it's especially true when it when it comes um, into a situation with anyone associated with the church or the diocese. Um, you know, anyone that would have been close to the priest or to, um, to this church um, that may have seen anything would have just, you know, turned a blind eye and um, not investigated and let things slide for, for longer than it should have. So um, I'm just really not surprised at all to hear of this coming out of, of London, Ontario. Well, you know, it's, it's for me a very graphic example of um, why we need to start arming people with what they can do in their community. And that's kind of leading in a little bit about if people have questions about why we're doing a new radio program, why we call it Here We Stand. Um, I'd like to discuss that for a few minutes because people have written and actually asked us about that. Um, sure, that sounds good. Yeah, like it, with what I found with Radio Free Canada, which began in early 2015, we had a whole vision of how people could start this action in their community, but what we found all over the country, there were literally hundreds of people on board, but, you know, they were isolated in small towns. I did a count, and over 80% of the people on our network were not living in cities. They were living in small towns, you know, northern Alberta, the Yukon, rural Ontario, and it was very hard in a country as vast as Canada to pull all these folks together, and they were all saying the same thing. I don't know what to do in my community. You know, the people are so conservative. I don't know how to confront the church and these people who are doing the crimes. What do I do? So what we found is that a lot of people have fallen away, and yet what we have remaining, Rachel, is a core of people who want to get trained. They want to, they have the courage, and that's, you know, a really essential quality, that courage mm -hmm. to come step out and, uh, and to start doing things. So that's part of the rationale in the show. Here we stand mm -hmm. is... is taken from Martin Luther's uh, comment when he nailed his theses to the door in 1517, 500 years ago, this October 31st, by the way. Um, he mm -hmm. said when he was, you know, the local archbishop demanded on pain of his own execution that he'd recant, Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. And that to me is the right. attitude we're hearing from people all over, that, okay, we want to take action now, give us the means, teach us these things, we'll take action in our communities. I don't know if you're encountering that, you know, where you are, but I'm getting the sense all over this kind of rising up now of people. Right, right. Sure, yeah, I am seeing that actually here um, around me too. People are getting very passionate about the uh, the issues and looking to take action. So how, how would you say that um, this show is different than Radio Free Canada? And who are the Coventers? Well, the... the like I say, the uh, the program here is aimed at kind of a different audience. It's not a general news program aimed at, you know, the people in general. We have a very targeted audience now. You could call them our cadre, if you like, the people who are 
the remnant, if you like, those who are willing to take action and who have the vision, but they need to start acting on it. And one of the, um, the things that we realize when we go from talk to action, our eyes have to be open all the more. We have to have our blindfolds off because we're moving into dangerous mm-hmm. waters sometimes. And that's right. the idea behind the show. Now, it's sponsored by this group, the Covenanters, and I made contact with them, or rather they made contact with me about a year ago now. They're a group of people. They arose out of Scotland uh, and Ireland, and there's some people in America as well. They're named after this group that emerged in the 1600s as part of the, of the Reformation that said, okay, we are going to take back our church as a first step to taking back our our community. These covenanters said we will not have kings or popes ruling over us. They brought in a, uh, mm-hmm. a declaration in 1643 that said the Scottish Church is self-governing. They got rid of the London archbishops, and um, mm-hmm. they said we are going to govern our own Kirk or Presbyterian Assembly. Now, all of that, it's really interesting when you trace that. A lot of the ideas that led to the American Republic came out of that same movement, and um, mm-hmm. it's so these covenanters are doing two things. They're they're operating on a on a fairly religious level, if you like. They're trying to call people out of all these false churches and saying it's time to reclaim you know the gospel of Christ and to act it and not be tied to these murderous corporations. They've been very involved in our work to expose these crimes of the Anglican, the Catholic Church, and the United Church in Canada. But they're doing more than that. As they're also a secular movement saying we need to pull people out of the system. We've got to get them out of the cities. We've got to get our children into healthy rural environments. And they're trying to build that. So it's a very exciting movement, and it's got a real vision attached to it as well. It isn't just do-goodism. So um, that's I part see. of where this show is coming from, and we're definitely linked to their activities. Hmm. I see. Thank you for explaining that in more detail. Yep. So it's, uh, it, I think it's exciting because, you know, what one of the criticisms people have had as well, quite frankly, is that um, we, uh, you know, there's an old saying, you have to be 90% inspiration and 10% routine when you're trying to do anything new. Well, often we become the opposite. We, we talk about issues, talk about them ad infinitum, and mm-hmm. we don't inspire people. We don't give them a sense that, yes, we, we have a vision, and it's, we're capable of doing it and acting on it. So that's part of what we try, we're try. we going to be trying to do. Like with Dave Scott today, our guest, we're going to try to bring people on who are actually doing something in their communities and have a vision behind it. Right, right. Well, you know, when you talk about people that, are, that have a vision and that are also taking action with that, I guess um, you must have some perspective, you know, over the past three years about uh, some gains and some lessons that you've had with the common law movement. Could you speak a little bit about about your campaign around that to stop child torture and child trafficking and that sort of thing? Well, yeah, it's uh, it's a big topic. It it spans nations now. Um, as a matter of fact, our movement over the last 15 to 20 years has helped spark a lot of the awareness now that you see, like when you see in the media 400 uh, people named in, in Canada have been involved in child porn, that kind of thing. There's been a uh, mm-hmm. an awakening about that because of our work to expose this uh, trafficking. Plus, yes. going along with it, it means for people to fight back. So the common law movement has really had a lot of fits and starts. It's setting up courts, as we'll hear about today in, in places like Scotland, where people are fed up with the existing corrupt system, and they're establishing their own courts under the, under the common law. And what we find now, and one of the reasons 
I wrote a number of the books that people can find on Amazon.com, is that people need to be trained now. And it's, it's a big step to go from talking about something to saying, okay, we're actually going to be in a court in our community. We're going to issue warrants for people to show up. We're going to establish our own enforcement arm. And this is the tricky part to say, okay, how are you going to enforce the verdicts? How are you going to bring people into court? We need our own body of sheriffs. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one of the questions we'll ask Dave Scott today. Are they doing that? Are they relying on the existing police, who are often controlled politically, you know, by the elites involved in these crimes, or do we need to create okay. that ourselves? So that's uh, some of the lessons we're actually going to be talking about that over the the upcoming shows about how people are doing that on the ground. Mm-hmm. I look forward to hearing uh, what he has to say about that. So I wondered if you'd be able to kind of connect the dots for me a little bit um, when we talk about specifically like child trafficking and and that issue, but then also there's um, the much broader um, concern about the ongoing genocide in Canada. So could you kind of connect the dots and just sort of discuss that campaign a little bit? Uh, Yes, very much, because it's, it's really another reason that we launched the show, because as folks may know, uh, if you follow our work, itccs.org, there was a really important, a really historic report um, uh, that came out on September 5th. And that went all over the world. It went to all the diplomats of the UN. It, it was read in the European Union and some of its committees. And you can read it if you go to the September 5th posting at itccs.org. It basically said, it documented in great detail the what they call the continuity of genocide uh, that's going mm-hmm. on in the world now. And, and they use the example of Canada, which we've documented so well, that many of the, the children who went missing in the residential schools, that happened at the hands of the very same people who are making the Aboriginal women go missing today. We've uh, mm-hmm. not only named some of the names, but also the forces involved, a lot of Chinese and American corporations that seem to be actually funding people to go in there and terrorize Native families off their land. And um, so, you know, this is a very important report because it's showing that our work is becoming international. And one of the, the, the things that are requested in the report is that other countries actually send peacekeepers to Canada to guard people like you and me, to guard the eyewitnesses so that more of these people don't disappear. I mean, we've had seven people in our network, seven Native men and women, die of probable foul play because of their involvement in this movement. It gets very dangerous in a place like the West Coast, you know. Um, And so we're asking for peacekeepers. We're asking the international community to come in and help us. And that is really beginning to send shockwaves, you know, through church and state Mm -hmm. in Canada. We know that for a fact. So we just have to keep up that pressure. And, um, you know, Mm -hmm. we're confident it'll achieve the same kind of result to God when we force Pope Benedict to resign. Yes. Well, I honor your courage for for the work that you're doing and for the people that you're speaking of that are on the ground and, you know, taking action with courage. And uh, there's a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of appreciation for those peacekeepers that are coming in. It's it's amazing that we can think of this as a global um, initiative and not something that's confined to Canada. Well, absolutely, Rachel. That, I think that's the main point. That one of the main points is that we're at the point now where we have to say to people, you don't have to cooperate in a murderous system anymore. You can pull out, you know. And we're trying to set up the, their alternatives so that's possible. So that's part of the, uh, you know, just one final thing because I know Dave is waiting. We've got him on. He's about to come on. 
Dave Scott from Scotland, but I just wanted to say as an analogy, there was something that happened before the American Revolution that really planted a lot of the seeds for it. There was a thing in, the, in America uh, called the Great Awakening. It happened in the 1740s and 50s, and it was a real kind of grassroots evangelical movement among the people that um, really gave people a sense that not only was God with them in their life, but they could act on what they read in the Gospels and what they felt in their own life. They could be self-governing communities, and the very people doing that, sure enough, really were in the spearhead of the struggle to establish a common law republic in America. So it's kind of like the inner awakening leads to that outer transformation in the world, as long as we're continuing to link the two and not seeing our own spirituality as something off there in a vacuum, but is very connected to how we live in the world. Politics and spirituality are really one and the same. And that's also going to be one of the themes of our show. So we want to unite those those forces as well as uh, the people. Mm-hmm. Ah, Sounds interesting. That said, <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, I'm very happy to uh, have David Scott with us. David, are you with us? Welcome, brother. It's good to have you with us. It's very good to be here. Oh, I'm sorry, Rachel is with us as well. Now, hello, Rachel. David. I wanted to ask you to. Uh, give a little bit of a background as to how you get involved in the Kamala Court, a little bit about yourself, and also uh, what is the Kamala Court of Scotland? Uh, well, my my involvement with the court was um, um, looking at one of its operations um, as it looked at a, a particular case where um, uh, a person had taken out a commercial lien against uh, corrupt officials who had caused them enormous loss um, via quite clear um, fraudulent behaviour. So he'd gone through this lien process and had a, a, a perfected lien and they, they had offered essentially no defence. Um, basically told them to get lost was, was the defence. There was no substantial defence offered. Um, but the difficulty that he faced was, well, what does he do with this? How how can he get it sort of endorsed through a court? And the court system in Scotland, for uh, reasons that we'll, we'll maybe get to, wasn't open to this. So so he brought this before a common law court, um, and uh, and a jury looked at it and con- and concluded that the the paperwork um, of the lien was was properly done and it was all perfected, and the court certified it accordingly. Um, now, as, as far as sort of how I got there, I, I, I got involved in um, these types of matters um, by supporting a campaigner against child sexual abuse called Robert Green. Uh, he was locked up uh, near my, my hometown on uh, extremely spurious grounds. He was uh, held for 96 days on remand. Uh, and this is a, a pensioner with an impeccable record, apart from campaigning against child sexual abuse. He's been entirely law-abiding um, and is, a, is an extremely lawful man. So he was, he was locked up for 96 days uh, before, before coming to trial. And I, I got involved in the campaign to get him bailed um, as, as his, his health was deteriorating. And that, that kind of started me looking at issues surrounding justice and injustice in Scotland. Uh, before that, I'd been an engineer, still am an engineer, um, company director, and um, uh, run a small a small engineering consultancy. So I, my my background is not anything to do with uh, the law, um, but it is to do with logic, which does help. Right. 
Well, you know, uh, it's interesting, David, how you got involved in this, because uh, I met Robert Green. I spoke in, uh, at a conference in uh, Northampton in 2010, and he was there, part of the Holy Greek campaign. And, you know, the, the whole thing about child trafficking in that, but that we found all over the world, is the degree to which politicians, you know, establishment people, high-up authorities are very much involved in these networks. And one of the, that's one of the things that explains why somebody like Robert goes to jail. Are you finding that in Scotland, that when these issues are being taken on, you, uh, people get that kind of opposition and, and persecution? And is that one of the things that led to the formation of this court? Yes, very much so. Just to give you a couple of examples, um, Holly Gregg um, named to the authorities 22 abusers. Uh, one was, uh, now deceased, was the uh, head of forensic um, investigation in Aberdeen Police. Um, and, and one was a senior judge, still serving, still still very much serving in the, the Scottish um, judiciary. Um, and this was part of the problem. To give you another example unrelated to Robert, I was I was interviewing a, a, a very um, courageous uh, young lady who had been trafficked aged 14 out of the care system into the massage parlour, which is just a front for a brothel. Um, so she was uh, exploited and bullied and coerced and, and, and then abused in every way possible. But she managed to free herself. She managed to, to study the law. She started to fight back against the system that had let her down. Um, and she's been researching how big this is. Now, it, uh, about um, a couple of years ago, um, this sort of earning was added into the official GDP figure. United Kingdom and in fact we got we had to pay extra to the European Union because our GDP went up so much when we started to count things like drug dealing and prostitution and the estimate for prostitution is if a female prostitution is, is over 5 billion 5.3 billion a year pounds sterling and if you add in male rent boy prostitution it's up over 8 billion it's a vast vast industry that's every year so the amount of influence that can buy, before you get to the issue, uh, there have been senior judges in Scotland who for years have been known to, um, to go to the massage parlours. Now, th this not only opens them up to blackmail, um, but also introduces them into the, the sort of criminal fraternity. And this was known for years, and these people continued to sit on the bench, and nothing was done. So this is the sort of corruption that we we face. Rachel, just let me ask you if you had any questions or comments before I've got more for Dave here. Um, well, sure, actually, Dave. I appreciate that you gave a little background about how you became involved, but I was wondering if you could give a little bit of specifics about the formation of the Scottish Common Law Court as a whole. Well, it, it's come out of... It's essentially a reaction f from people who cannot find justice and cannot find lawful remedy. The, the problems they're face facing are, are several fold. One, there's corruption, right? There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of behind the scenes deals. There is uh, undue influence by things like the speculative society and, and, and other um, sort of secret societies. 
Um, and there is what, at least on the face of it, appears to be to be cover up and corruption. The, the perception, at least, is that is that if you are taking a case to the Scottish courts, you will get um, a decision that fits the establishment view of what Scotland is. You'll not get justice, you'll get a decision that fits. So that's mm-hmm. one point. I see. Um, the second one is, is deception, because so much of what happens in a court is, is based on deception. Um, a, a little example of that would be uh, if you go to, to be a, an observer, just a, a, a visitor sitting in the back of the court seeing what's going on, if there's eight seats and nine people turn up and there's a big wide corridor, you're not allowed to stand in the corridor, you're made to stand outside the court. You must have a seat. And the reason you must have a seat is you must go through the rigmarole of standing up when the judge comes in and sitting down when he tells you, because that gives him his authority. That right. defines the court, right? So there's there's consent happening there, but no one says right. there's consent happening there. So it's all done by deception. And the third big issue is the cost. The the, the cost of going to law is now so much that if you're out if you're outside a small claims court, which is just about doable. If you have a dispute for anything less than a hundred thousand pounds, forget it. Right? It's it's too expensive. If you have um, anything that's really complicated, the costs just spiral, and the the effect of this is that justice becomes initially the realm of the rich and government. And as it goes on and it gets worse and worse, it becomes the realm of the super rich and government because it's only with access to taxation money that um, costs no longer are an issue. A couple of quick examples of that, one from the Robert Greene case. Robert was sued by Dame Louise Angelini, former Lord Advocate of Scotland, the, the highest law officer in Scotland who runs all criminal prosecution in Scotland. Um, she was the fiscal in Aberdeen when most of the Holly Gregg um, case came to light. Um, and Robert considered that she had not done her job properly in either post and made that plain. So she sued for defamation. Um, what Robert didn't know when that suit was going on, and he was refused legal aid. So here he was in a foreign legal jurisdiction with no legal support at all up against the Lord advocating the big row of barristers. He lost, not well, surprisingly. Well, now, right, um, right. there was no there's no equality of arms. Now, what he didn't know is that in this private civil claim for um, um, defamation, Dame Elise Angelini had all of her fees paid by the Scottish government. And it oh, took wow. us years to find that out. And when we found it out and we started asking questions about it, we found there was a clause in the standard conditions of contract for every government official, which says that if a government official is embroiled in a civil legal dispute, which is in any way to do with their job, or um, if a former government employee is embroiled in a civil legal dispute, which is in any way um, to do with their job, then the Scottish government, 
if it is in the interests of the Scottish government, can take on the costs of that. Not, not if it's in the interest of the people or justice or anything else. If it's in the interest of the Scottish government, they take on the cost and they prosecute the case. So you're faced with an enormous uphill struggle. Another example that we've found is that uh, large organisations such as Scottish Water, which is a, 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 a creature of statute, a, a company formed by statute under nominal private, un, under nominal government ownership, but operating as an independent company, which has enormous reserves. It has huge financial reserves and it supplies all of the public water all over Scotland. So it sets the rates and gets money from everyone who uses water. If they are embroiled in any dispute with a private individual, they will rapidly take that, as rapidly as possible, they will take that to court. They will rack up as much in, as they can in expenses, very expensive lawyers, very expensive mm -hmm. legal opinions. So if the person goes to court, Scottish Water don't really care because they can afford to lose. The private individual is betting his entire net worth on whatever the yeah. dispute is. It makes it a very unfair fight. Yes. David, I had a, one thing I wanted to ask was, you know, a lot of this, when you're describing the problems, um, I don't know where judges are in Scotland, but in Canada, a judge can uh, rewrite a court record. He can dismiss a case arbitrarily. He can deny due process to somebody. Uh, it's completely draconian power. And in common law, the jury is the center of power in a court, not the judge, not the magistrate. So is that, I mean, to you, does it come down to the issue of the judges themselves, not simply the people who are judges, but the system itself of judge-run courts? Is that part of the problem, do you think? Yes, very much so. The, the, the independence of the Scottish judiciary is held up as a, 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 as a great bulwark against wrongdoing. But of course, it depends on the judge. Now, there's been one book that I found written about the Scottish judiciary. It's very good and very interesting. But it's it's called Show Me the Judge and I'll Show You the Law. Because that's what the system is. You don't know the law until you're seeing who, who's who's making the decision. Right. Uh, they have a, they have a lot of power. One of the cases um, that, that this book um, details is. In, in Scotland, all prosecution is via the Crown Office, it's via this one state prosecutor controlled by the Lord Advocate. In England, it's different. Uh, and a lot of English organisations or British organisations don't realise the difference. So you had the taxman, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, came up to Scotland to prosecute a case. And they went in to see the judge and say, we are HMRC, we'll be prosecuting this case. And the judge says, no, you won't. So yes, we will, we are HMRC. He said, no, you're HMRC in Scotland. You have no prosecutorial powers. <laughs> so the, the tax man said, what's your name? Who's your boss? And the judge says, I'm a Scottish judge. I don't have a boss. And he was <laughs> right. He could make the decision. So there's a very high degree of independence. Now, that degree of independence can be used one of two ways. It can, it can be used for good or it can be used for ill. Now, the problem is... Too often, it's not been used to defend the individual people. Sometimes it is. There's some great examples in the Scottish judiciary of people standing up for the little man, but equally, mm -hmm. there's a lot of un unseen influence behind the scenes. And that degree of independence without scrutiny 
And it's the lack of scrutiny that's the real problem and the lack of openness that's the real problem. Well, that's, that's the question. How do you get scrutiny? It's, we find this time again in trying to take cases like, for example, about the, the crimes in Indian schools or any of these things uh, about child torture. Um, how do you get accountability in, in, in a system where the judges themselves are linked to the government and the, and the Crown, who are the guilty parties in these cases? You know, I mean, so obviously there needs to be an alternative system of law that gets around that. And, and that's why I'm wondering if, if we could talk a little bit about um, is this, the common law court in Scotland, is it an actual rival court to the existing ones or does it work within the existing courts? It's completely separate and it's based on common law. Um, it's not, it'd be, it would be presumptuous yet to call it a rival, but that's the intention. Uh, it, it seeks to be a, a neutral court. It's not a campaigning body or anything like that. It doesn't have any axe to grind for itself. It's uh -huh. uh, an alternative that people may choose to use responsibly to find a way to get justice and um, proper lawful remedy uh, without going through the statute system and the statute courts, but rather to go to the people, to their peers, to a jury of their peers and find justice that way. So right. it's it's um, it's looking to provide an alternative route, and this is the key because in in so many things in life, what makes the what makes the free market system, for example, better than 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 communism and socialism, is not that people who run free market organisations are better people, but the choice that the consumer has forces them to be better because they have to please the customer. If uh, in Scotland everything goes through the Crown Office, right? if the situation was there was a choice and the police came to you and said, we've, we've found uh, the person who burgled your house and we have the following three prosecutors um, for you to choose from, who would you like to prosecute your case? If that degree of choice existed, then the problems with the Crown Office would vanish. It's the it's the state imposed monopoly, which means that right. they can get in, they can make decisions, and they are untouchable. Well, that's, that's the thing. The I mean, the, the choice is vanishing, whether it's in the economy with the kind of domination of, of cartels and conglomerates over the little guy, or within law and politics. We find that, that corporatization of everything, you know, and so... There's this constant struggle to to defend people. So much of our energy is involved in just keeping our head above water, keeping other people's heads above water, and that's why holding out something like this court is so essential. Um, Rachel, any other any remarks or questions? Um, sure. There was actually something I wanted to ask um, David. I was just wondering how would um, how would the common law courts plan to enforce the verdicts? You know, do, would they have their own police force, or are they working with the existing police force, or what would that look like? Well, I, that's that's going to emerge over time, I think. Um, what we've had so far, we've had several cases through, and the court is also doing simple things like registering property and registering births, so you can have a common law registration of a birth rather than, or in addition to, a statutory birth certificate. And that gets away from some of the, the straw man um, per, right. you know, legal person problems as well. Yep. Um, and uh, they've had some success with um, using um, uh, uh, commercial liens and um, also um, uh, actions placed on 
property sales to stop property sales going through if there's a dispute that's not been resolved. So there has been some some forward progress on that, but um, it's going to have to be built up by use and by demonstrating a way forward um, because it can't all, it's got to come from, from the ground up, it's got to be people led, it's got to be a grassroots movement and it has to be people standing up and acting lawfully and finding remedy you know, through this process. Hopefully people will start to choose to resolve disputes through it. You'll resolve civil legal disputes because for one thing, it will be a fraction of the cost of the existing system. Right. And then when you get to, to, to cases where people don't want to um, you know, agree to use the court and agree to have the court settle, settle a dispute, um, suppose you're trying to recover a debt, I think that has to be that still has to be fully worked out. Um, I, I can only suggest that let's 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 talk in maybe a few months' time, or you might talk to someone else involved in a few months' time. There, there might be some progress to report by then on on enforcement. It's one of the hardest things, of course. Yeah, of course, definitely. Uh, we are gonna before you go off the air today, Dave. I want you to mention there is kind of a whole campaign over the next few years you guys have in mind. But I want to ask about that whole thing of registering births and that, because it's a real... It, are you saying that when you register your information with the Commonwealth Court, you can get a whole, around that whole fake system the government has of issuing a uh, capital letter ID, calling you a corporation, and then acting in your name? Is that a way around it? Is that the idea behind it? Well, well exactly so. The, the people are registering um, the births and the births of their children, so you have a record of live birth. And it's, and it's through a common law court, so it's within the common law. It doesn't doesn't relate to any statute law whatsoever. Um, so it's completely clear of of the trickery of the official system, and that's been quite popular. The, the, the courts had quite a lot of people registering births, including um, they, they, they've had to create a, a, an international wing to it because they had. Uh, some registrations from Australia come in, so it's obviously something that's of interest, certainly right. across the the, the uh, common law jurisdictions across the globe. Well, it, it definitely gives people a sense that they can do something, that they're not beholden onto some faceless bureaucracy, but they can do something in their community to take back their power, and that, that's very much part of the, uh, you know, the vision behind the common law movement. Um, well, are you? Well, well this. This yep. is exactly right, that it's, it's people doing it for themselves. So what, this, what the Scottish Common Law Court is providing is some information and guidance and, and showing the way a little bit, but it's, it's asking people to, to, to organise themselves and, and set up a court and under, these, under this system um, and, and seek justice for themselves through this process. It's open source, it's for everyone, um, it's people-led, and it's inclusive. It's not an or, it's not a rival organisation coming in. It's an ability for people to to seek justice uh, for themselves and to seek lawful remedy, and to and and to avoid the official system. To say to the official system, you yeah. know, thank you very much. You can stay over there. Uh, I don't want to come and be part of your court because it it doesn't suit my interests, and I've got another option. Excellent. Yeah, well, do you do? Uh, do you find you have to do a lot of community education about this? Is that part of your it, it, whole vision? It, yep. It's early days. I'm sure there's going to be enormous amounts of uh, an enormous amount of questioning going on, and um, and education. Yes, because 
you appreciate this like to run a common law court you need you need a jury but you also need um four court officers and they've got to be of a certain standing have a certain a certain knowledge so yes there's there's going to be a lot of if if this starts to really build and it, and the early signs are very promising there's going to be a lot of uh, demand for people to uh, to educate themselves and um, to be able to to um, to um, contribute to this movement, right? And it is it is that uh, it's a it's a grassroots movement. And before I forget, um, please tell us the website of the Scottish Common Law Court. It is. It's www.scottishcommonlawcourt.com. And is there a way? Well, is there a contact info on that site if people want to get a hold of you? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's not me, but they'll get the people yeah. who run the site. Will, will, there's a contact page, and the people who run yeah. the site will, will will respond. Yes, absolutely. Yes, there's an email. Email is info at scottishcommonlawcourt.com. Great. And uh, yes, anything that goes through there will get a, a rapid uh, response. Now, tell us about the uh, the campaign over the next few years. What we were talking about the other day, just kind of what your perspective is on, on. Um... Well, this this is something we we've got a major launch coming forward. So some of it we're actually we're trying to keep somewhat under wraps until then. The major launch is on the twenty sixth of October. Now this is a, a separate organisation. I'm, I'm very much part of this. It's called the Fresh Start Foundation, and it's an investigation, a people's investigation into child sexual abuse in Scotland. Now what? prompted this, so the last straw, there was a lot of unhappiness and people like Robert Green have been campaigning for many years. Many people in Scotland have been supporting him to get a proper investigation into the Holly Gregg case and into some other cases. But the information had been mounting and the pressure had been mounting and eventually the government said it was going to hold an official inquiry. Now, what happened initially was nothing. It was very, very slow. There was a long delay. And then the terms of reference were extremely narrow, so it was only children who had been abused in institutional residential care. So if you went to a school during the daytime and you were abused, that didn't count. Right. If you were abused right. by a senior politician who had who tied you up and put put you in the trunk of his car and took you home, that didn't count. <laughs> only only residential care was was included now even that was quite a lot of institutions around scotland so they appointed a panel of um three people led by qc um to investigate there's a qc called susan o'brien uh, there was two other people leading this panel one was a professor from cambridge with a lot of relevant experience and and the panel you know looked the sort of qualifications they had looked um, appropriate. Um, and then we started to get a wind that, that all wasn't well. And then the, the the Professor Lamb from Cambridge resigned. And when he resigned, he cited Scottish government interference. And then the, the, the chair, um, uh, Susan O'Brien QC, resigned. And she resigned detailing the Scottish government interference. And what had happened was um, she'd been accused of essentially a throwaway line and this throwaway line was held to be evidence that she wasn't um, 
considering the victims enough and wasn't a fit person. And and it was a very strange situation where someone who just happened to be a Scottish party, Scottish National Party member, um, heard this statement, this 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 sentence, and then several months later reported it to the Scottish government. And within a week, the Scottish government asked asked the chair of the the inquiry for a resignation. And and when you look at this the statement, it was something about nothing. It looked like a fit up. And what we were hearing is this was in response to certain um, well-connected interests applying pressure to this inquiry through the Scottish government. Um, so the, the Fresh Start Foundation which, is in response to all of this. Tell us about yes. yeah about it so, and so, about your so, campaign over the next few years. Yeah. So all all of that led to a breakdown in, in confidence in the government inquiry. So what we've what we've done is we've founded a, a, a people's a citizens inquiry into this, and um, we are announcing the, the sort of detail of that on the 26th of October in a meeting in Edinburgh. And I'd love to come back on after that and, and give you all of the detail. But essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to spend a couple of years. We're going to uh, uh, reach out to all of the victims and survivors all around Scotland. We're going to gather the information, and we're going to we're going to report to the people of Scotland as to what has been going on. And it's going to be done entirely without government support. We won't take a penny from the government. The people who are doing it are all working for free. And um, we are determined that we are going to deliver uh, the truth to, uh, to the victims and survivors and to the people of Scotland so that they can understand what has actually been going on. Well, so uh, this is uh, an invitation Dave, for you to come on our show on October 29th, and you can update us at that time. If not before then, we'll try to... That, that, no, that would be perfect. Uh, I can give you all the details then um, once, we've, once we've made the formal announcement. I can, I can take you through just how we're, how we're approaching this task. It's going to yep. be a, a, a work of, of several years, and um, there's a, a lot of people becoming involved, and uh, well, we're very determined. It's excellent, and it's you know as people learn these things, there's always spillover in other countries, and it, this is a a mutually fertilizing process, as they say. Um, we've got all about three or four minutes left for you, Dave, but we'll definitely have you back again soon. Is there anything? First of all, Rachel, do you have any other comments or things you want to kick in? Uh, no, I've nothing. No other questions. I just um, enjoyed listening to to what you had to say, David, and find it very exciting. So, looking forward to hearing more later in October. And so, Dave, uh, could you? is there anything you want to say to people in summary uh, while we still well, have you? Ju just one little point is worth, worth bringing out. Um, it's often said in Scotland that, that the common law doesn't apply. We hear this from Scottish sheriffs, Scottish judges. Um, now, there was a, back in 2015, there was a, an evidence session in the House of Lords where the President of the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom said in evidence to to the law lords, which are your senior judges who sit in the House of Lords, he said, this is Lord Newberger of uh, Abbotsbury, he said, in Scotland, they do not have the common law. Right? And at the end of this session, one of the Scottish law lords interrupted and he said, could I make a small addendum for, for clarification? In Scotland, we do not have the common law in the sense of the English common law. We have our own common law which is the result of a whole number of influences over many centuries. And it just emphasises the point that we have a common law tradition in Scotland and the judiciary and the courts in Scotland 
will deny this. They will look you in the eye and say it doesn't exist and they're wrong. And that degree of either ignorance or deception um, has to be fought. Well, also self-interest. The judges uh, feel that their job's on the line if the people take over the court. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. In, 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 indeed, and the, Scot the entire Scottish uh, Courts and Tribunal Service is, of course, uh, a private company, and it's registered in uh, New York, would you believe? Really? That's interesting. Hmm. Oh, final question, though, Dave. Um, are you, have in the work you're doing, like this happens all over in, in our network, but in the work that any of you have been doing, have you faced opposition, harassment by the police, black ops, smear campaigns, anything like that? Uh, well, it, it's not been anything like you've faced. There's, there's been a little bit of hassle. Um, the, 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 they've had uh, the, one of the first people to put a case through the common law court when they got the decision. Um went to sheriff's officers, like bailiffs, that uh, would be the equivalent perhaps where you are, to get this decision enforced. And they passed the paperwork to the police saying it was a forgery. So the police then right. came knocking at his door. But uh, when he assured them it wasn't a forgery and it was a properly convened common law court, uh, the police went away and so far they've not really been back. We'll, we'll see if anything comes of that. Um, I think there will be opposition. Um, well, this is so. This I, is I, so important. There has to be. If we do it right, there must. Yeah, be. there will be opposition, and we have to defend ourselves and the people around us. Um, I, I ask that because I've asked Robert Green to come on our program very soon, and he can talk about what he's faced—that kind of harassment. And it's funny because earlier today I was on Andy Peacher's show uh, with the Fresh Start Foundation, and on three occasions during the show we were cut off. The whole show was just shut shut down. So. I think, you know, we can expect this and people have to be aware of that. Yeah, Robert Greene's a good example because Robert Greene has suffered um, wrongful arrest. Um, he was arrested, first time he was arrested, he was arrested for breach of a, of a court order, uh, termed in Scotland an interdict. Um, problem was that court order had never been served. They tried to serve it in, in uh, Warrington after he'd left for Aberdeen, which is halfway across the country. So it hadn't been served, but he was arrested anyway. And that, that, that's completely fraudulent. When he was arrested the second time, when he went into jail and, and I visited him, um, all the way up from England, he was questioned about a, a completely different matter from the one that they had claimed to have arrested him on. And this was right. a matter of something called the Violate Club, which is a fetish club in Scotland, run by an Airdrie lawyer. Um, and in this, they do um, strange sexual acts to, amongst other things, dolls of children. Oh my and God. Uh, they have, in this club, they have uh, many senior uh, people of note, including some sheriffs and wives of sheriffs and school teachers and various other senior police officers and what have you. Um, and uh, the, Robert had been writing about it. All they wanted to know was about the Violate Club. Right. Now we concluded, based on that, we concluded that, that the authorities thought that Robert was going to release the membership list. Right, okay. We want to talk that, more was, about that, that. that wasn't the case, but the, their, their action against him didn't seem to have any hugely round logic. And why, why arrest someone on one charge and then only want to question them about something completely unrelated? It was very strange. Yeah, well, they've got him targeted, obviously. Um, Dave, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. We're going to have you on again real soon. And um, 
again, could you give the website for folks once more? Uh, certainly. Um, the website, the, the, this is the Common Law Courts in Great Britain is the heading, and the website is www.scottishcommonlawcourt.com. Thank, thank you, brother. You we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for being with us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. David Scott from my homeland in Scotland. Rachel, I thank you so much for being with us, and uh, we'll be doing more of these, and it was, it's good to have you with us as well. Thank you so much, Kevin. And uh, finally, to announce to folks, uh, please come back again next week where we're going to be carrying this on. You can follow our work um, at bbsradio.com slash here we stand. And also to flag one of our books, Establishing the Reign of Natural Liberty, a common law training manual. You can get that at amazon.com. Just put in my name, Kevin Annett, and it'll pop up. So until next week, uh, let me just check if we've got any more announcements here. I had them, but they're gone. Oh, well. We'll be back in one week, and follow our work at itccs.org, murderbydecree.com, and if you want to get a hold of the Covenanters, the movement we described earlier, their email is congregationalcovenant, that's congregationalcovenant at gmail.com. If you want to write to yours truly, I'm at thecommonland at gmail.com, thecommonland at gmail.com. I thank you, brothers and sisters, for being with us again. I hope you're inspired to not only listen next week, but to carry it on. Contact us in order to know how to enact this in your community. Until next week, stay strong and stay clear. We thank you. In 1649, to St. George's Hill, a ragged band they called the diggers came to show the people's will. They defied the landlords, they defied the laws. They were the dispossessed, reclaiming what was theirs. We come in peace, they said, to dig and sow.